All right, it's Chander with the Contemporary Horsemanship Podcast, and today I'm going to continue my last episode on problems that you might have after buying a horse. And last time, um, if you haven't listened to that, we talked about giving a new horse time off period, the consequences or effects of different training methods, um, the rider's skill level or the trainer's skill level or the horse's skill level, and then tack and its effects on the horse as well. So um, you don't necessarily have to listen to that first if you don't want to. That's totally fine. But in this episode, I'm going to just expand on those ideas. I just didn't really want it to be that long. Um, in this one, I want to talk about more more horse-focused things, I guess, less training things. So more feeding, environment, exercise, and then go over some problems and just kind of some red flags. So hopefully I can keep it pretty short. If not, if it gets longer than like 30, 40 minutes, then I'll just make it into another episode and we'll just do a third one. But we'll see how fast I get through these things. So first topic that I want to talk about was feeding. Feeding is a huge topic just in general. Um, Different horses need different things. And when they're at, when they're being ridden or worked or they're pregnant mares or whatever it might be, their your feeding schedule and your feeding what you're feeding has to be very specific to that animal. So basically, the norm the number one thing when you are getting a new horse is keeping that horse on its feed and gradually transitioning it to whatever you want to feed it or just keeping it on the feed that it had previously if that's works well for that horse. So I've done both. I've switched to what I was feeding or what the barn I was boarding at was feeding. And I've also kept the horse on the feed that it had had originally when I first bought it. So, or when it was at the other place or wherever it was before. So that's really important. Um, couple different things that go into that. First, and probably the most noticeable thing about feed is going to be the grain. And that's usually going to be what changes the most. Um, Certain people just be like, okay, well, this is what my barn feeds. So that's just what they feed their new horse. Or this is the cheapest one. So this is what I feed my horse. Or this is what bag looks the prettiest or the name sounds the best. And that's what we feed. So definitely look at the label of the bag. Lots of feeds, commercial grains have tons of sugar, corn, molasses, all that sugar. And most horses that are just kind of pleasure horses, you go on a trail ride occasionally, you do a lesson once or twice a week, they're not doing a ton of work, don't need that kind of grain whatsoever. Um, That's going to be different if your horse needs to gain weight or if your mare's pregnant, uh, if you're working at a higher load, but generally most horses that are pleasure horses just don't need grain at all unless they're harder keepers. Like my thoroughbred gelding, he had grain um, and then I would give his neighbors grain because, you know, so they didn't get jealous, but they would have like a handful of his grain and he would have like half a bucket full, but it worked out well for him. He was at a good weight. They ate a handful of grain and it didn't really affect them. And the grain was very low in like sugars and starches. And so it, it didn't affect the other horses and it was good for him. Um, but then my other two horses, they don't get any grain at all. They're Mustangs and they're fat now and they only get hay. So it just depends on the horse. So like my thoroughbred, obviously, like he just needed grain to maintain weight. So you could have that horse, even though he was definitely a pleasure horse, he didn't get, I mean, he got worked probably three to four days a week, but it wasn't like high intensity stuff. We were just doing like some groundwork, some liberty, just ride around a little bit. So it was nothing crazy. 
Um, once you are actually, I would say I wouldn't even be giving a decent amount of grain if your horse is not a hard keeper. Um, until you're like riding five, six days a week and you're doing like a lot of cantering, galloping, doing a high activity sport, jumping, cross country, um, some intense dressage, barrel racing, those kind of things. Um, most people are not going to need a lot of grain unless your horse has some kind of like weight gaining need or needs those extra calories for another like medical problem or issue, whatever they have. But so most generally just don't need it. Like right now, since my thoroughbred died, I have, I only feed Timothy hay pellets. And the only reason that I'm giving them hay pellets is because I wet them and I make sure everybody's hydrated. Um, and so my quarter horse and my mini horse will get that in the morning and at night every day. And it's just to keep them drinking. The mini horse has called multiple times for not drinking. So I just give him that. And then I just give that to my quarter horse anyways. Just, just why not? You know, she gets, uh, two handfuls of Timothy pellets that are soaked in water. So just to keep her hydrated. And I will do that with the Mustangs as well. They just don't get as much just because they are fat. Um, I will give them when it's hot or when there's a big temperature swing or something like that, just to keep them hydrated as well, even though they are pretty good drinkers. But that's kind of my feeding thing. And then I, they always have hay in the winter and then they have grass all summer and they have grass all winter as well. But that's kind of what my horses have. And then my thoroughbred did have grain just because he was a harder keeper. So, but the the point is going to be if you have grain, let's we probably don't need a lot of it. Let's look at the feed bag and see what's actually in it, and then make changes gradually. So let me just talk about the changes first because if you're buying a new horse, keep whatever the horse is on at the amount that he's given, and to keep everything the same, and then gradually take him either down to whatever level you want if you want to keep him on the same feed but just less or gradually um, start incorporating the new feed at whatever amount you need for his weight and his um, workload and just gradually over weeks change it over. So that's really important. You really don't want to go from okay, he's eating even a quarter of a scoop or half of a scoop. We, there's just so much changes going on when you take a horse from its herd and its environment and now you're changing its feed. There's definitely a greater risk of colic and other health issues, but you just don't want to stress the horse in general. That could lead to ulcers. So it's just not healthy at all. So just make those changes really gradually. Talk with your vet, talk with your trainer and kind of see what works best for that particular horse? How much riding and work are you realistically going to do? How hard is it going to be? Do some research, read those feedback labels, and do everything really slowly. But I would definitely make sure that that horse either comes with some grain or you buy the exact kind of grain that he has been eating before you buy him. And the same thing goes with hay. Like, same thing. Hay is also very important. Uh, grain's just kind of the most noticeable really because depending on your location and kind of where your horse is coming from like if you're buying a horse locally it's probably going to be on a similar hay that you feed um that's going to be not true if you're buying like from another part of the country so like when I moved here I moved from Colorado to North Carolina and my horse was on pasture mostly but then she would get alfalfa because Timothy grass wasn't really that common in uh, Colorado. It's just not, it's not really a thing they have there. And then when we moved here, actually we had, there, 
main types of hay where I'm at now is Timothy grass or coastal hay. And so when I moved her, the barn she was at had coastal hay and we had to switch her over. But we had brought multiple bales of her hay to switch her over to the coastal because they are very different. So um, that's another thing, just just different types of hay, even if you're not like switching a horse that's in a completely different region of the country to the hay that's in your country. Just qualities of hay can be really different. Like I feed my horses Timothy hay grass, um, Timothy grass hay, because I don't like the quality of most coastal hays. Um, I've seen a lot of colicking with them. Um, so like if you had one or the other, again, you have to switch those over time. So if your horse, you say you're buying a horse that's eating coastal hay, I would buy a couple bales of coastal hay and switch them over to, let's say, your Timothy grass hay over time to what you want them to be on. But don't just because, oh, well, I don't like coastal, so I bought him a bale of Timothy. Don't just switch it over immediately. Do it gradually. Try to make the transition from the old barn to the new barn as easy and smooth as possible. So that's really important. Then the next thing is going to be grass. Um, so grass can be really different as well and as well as the amount of time spent on the grass um the quality of the grass how tall it was there's a lot of things that can go into that so um it really just depends I would definitely find out if you're buying a horse like how big is that pasture how many other horses are on it with that horse like does he do a lot of grazing does he do a lot of standing is there only grass in the summer and not the winter just kind of see what he's used to because the biggest dramatic changes you're going to see are horses who aren't on grass very much that go to a lot of grass and vice versa. Um, and probably definitely for the worse is going to be a horse that was used to a lot of grass or a lot of pasture space that goes to not a lot of grass and not a lot of pasture space because that horse can be bored really easy, not be able to move around and get their energy out and can really just not be great under saddle or to handle because they aren't going and do, going and doing that grazing that they need to to be healthy and to be sane and all that stuff. So my example for that one's going to be a very long time ago when I was a kid and I got my first horse. We bought the horse. The horse was great. And we had two acres, which is not that much, especially in Wyoming, which is just kind of like really patchy, mostly dirt and rocks in this specific area. There just wasn't a lot of grass, like two acres of, of land in North Carolina. On the other hand, that horse would have been fine. She probably would have no behavioral issues whatsoever as far as the grass is concerned because she would be able to graze and, and move around and it wouldn't be a big deal. But um, in, the, in Wyoming, she just didn't really have very much to graze at all. She spent a lot of time standing. She spent a lot of time standing next to her horse friend over the fence um, and for, and obviously this was my first horse. I wasn't a master trainer or a rider. I was still a kid. And so there was definitely a lot of training issues that also went into this, but she was definitely a handful at times and she would escape. I'm not going to say your horse is going to escape because they don't have a lot of grass, but it's a possibility and mine did multiple times. She'd walk down the street into some other person's field and eat over there, but she was just much, much more difficult to handle. Then when we moved, we had moved to to Colorado. We had 40 acres. Again, grass situation is going to be similar. Um, it wasn't as rocky, but there was a lot more space and completely different animal. 
she had time to move around. She had friends next door. She could move and graze and do what's natural to horses instead of just kind of stand and not have any outlet for her energy. Um, completely different horse, completely different, much easier to work with, easier to ride, definitely a happier animal. So definitely if you have a situation where you're buying a horse and that horse is on pasture all the time and now really all that's available to you is like a small turnout or a dry lot or stall, get that horse as much turnout time as possible. I see so many problems when you buy a horse, even if the horse is not even used to being out on grass, horses need to be turned out. They need to move. They need to be with their friends. They need to graze. They need to forage. Like I get that's not possible in every part of the world, but if you have an arena to let your horse run around in, if you live in like a desert area like Arizona, Nevada, somewhere like that, put up hay nets around the arena and let them be able to move out there for as much as they can with some friends. Give them a, a toy. Like, I have a toy. Like, it's a little, like, it's not a cube. I don't know. It's got a lot of sides. <laughs> Multiple sides. But it's got a little hole. And you pour, like, hay pellets inside it. And they kick it around. And they eat up the hay pellets. They love that toy. Um, keeps them busy. And they have that grazing motion. They can do that. Um, and then they have those kind of same kind of things. But with for hay... Um, there's lots of different enrichment things that you can do for horses to get them grazing and foraging and moving around. So that's super, super important. So many behavioral issues come from a horse that has no social outlet or can't move around or can't graze and do those normal things. So get your horse out as much as possible. If they have to be in a stall, get them a stall toy and not like a ball. Most horses don't play with a ball. Um, it's going to be that grazing toy where the toys or where the pellets fall out and they can push it around and graze lots of hay nets lots of free choice hay so they're constantly consuming hay and foraging and then um, like a hay ball or something like that would be great as well and then getting time out of the stall to where they can move around a lot see and interact with other horses is very important don't do a grass drastic change with that uh, you're going to see a lot of more behavioral issues pop up when you do that so um, that's kind of what I've got for feeding. Obviously, if that horse you got you that you bought come came with some supplements, I would again again if you're not going to use those or if you're going to switch them to different ones, keep them on that supplement for as for um, not as long as you can, but uh, a couple of weeks till you can either wean them off of it or wean them to a different one that you want to use, um, or maybe you want to start them on another one. Just do everything gradually. Um, the other thing that I'm kind of going off of the feeding is the environment, which is kind of going with the grass. The other thing about grass before I move on is its richness. So if, you know, same thing with when I moved here, the grass in Western states is very different to the grass in Eastern states. So like my 40 acres in Colorado, there is very sparse. It's different kind of grass. Like the ratio from acres to horse in Colorado is 40 acres will feed one horse. While in North Carolina, I believe it's one acre will feed one horse. It might be two, but I think it's one. So the, the grass content here is, or the grass quality here is much higher. So again, that's another thing to consider. Um, if your horse is coming from a place where maybe he's in a western state or a desert state or he's in a stall a lot um, and then he's on a bunch of grass like he might 
there might be a lot of like there's there can be a lot of sugar in these kind of grasses so you might have the opposite problem he's eating a lot of high sugar grasses and then he might have a lot more energy as well so you might have to put a grazing muzzle on him or put him in a dry lot situation but again exercise is important contact with other horses is important just keeping them in a healthy um, environment so that they can move as much as they can and have the least amount of sugar in their diet while still being able to graze and forage and stuff like that. So those are all important. Um, then you want to make sure that your horse has access to friends. Again, you don't want those big swings where he was out in a pasture and now he's in a stall and he can't see or touch anybody. That's going to make most horses pretty crazy. So that's not great. Try to not do that. If they need to be in a stall again, they can have access to other horses, they have access to food, and they can forage and move around as much as they can within, within the stall. So that's really important, finding a good friend for your horse and setting the situation up for success. So we're, we put horses together, they don't really get to choose, so make sure they have a horse that they get along with well um, so that they can have some mental stimulation there and, and social stimulation um, that's really important and that's going to affect your horse's behavior as well. And then again, the other point I have was turnout. So same thing with the grass, make sure your horse can get out as much as possible, move around. Um, that's going to help your training and just make sure that they can get out as much as possible. That's super important. So, and make changes within the, the environment and with the feeding um, as gradual as you can. So, and then the next point I have is exercise. So if you bought a horse and probably the most drastic swing is going to be an unbroke horse. So like my last, the last horse that I bought, uh, my quarter horse mare, Dakota, she was out on hundred acres and she just hung out with a bunch of other horses and a big herd and didn't do anything because she was two or she was three, but she didn't do anything. She would go up a couple times and she was in the round pen and like they videoed her sale videos. Like that's all the work she did. So when I brought her here, I wanted to, you know, get her slowly into work because I don't want to go from no work to a lot of work just because I don't want to hurt my horse. I don't want to injure her, especially since she's young, but you got to make those changes gradually. And then same thing with going out of work. If your horse is maybe being ridden five times a day and is being jumped two or three times a week and is doing a lot of lessons or doing a lot of riding and then you buy that horse and you ride it once or twice a week and you're just like doing a little hacks or you're riding around the arena a little bit, that horse might not be using as much energy, definitely is not using as much energy, but you could see a behavior change with that horse as well. If, if you're not doing as much work, he has a little bit more energy and it, especially if you are feeding him the same amount. So that's what I'm going to touch back on the feeding is if you were feeding him the same amount that he was being fed when he was being ridden five or six days a week at the old barn before you bought him and now you've brought him to your place and he's at the same amount of feed and you're riding him twice a week, that grain can definitely make him hot. So especially if it's got molasses and corn and all those extra things and the sugar in it. So Definitely starting to slowly wean him off of that, um, getting that horse plenty of turnout time, um, exercise time so that you don't have a handful <laughs> and that you can have good um, quality rides. But yeah, switching that horse over. So just being aware of that, um, what is normal for that horse. But we also have to be realistic on what our um, resources are and how they're going to affect 
um, the horse. So essentially, like, let's be realistic, like, on what we have to give the horse. So if my horse that I bought, which did come from the 100 acres, I know she's not gonna love it as much because right now she's got a couple acres um and she she's turned out 24 7 they have a shelter she doesn't live in a stall um and she has other horses that she's out with but you know it's not gonna be 100 acres and there's no way I can provide that for her but I let her she's turned out all the time we rotate pastures so she finds uh new places to be and she has different things to see sometimes I'll let them turn them out in my arena with the hay nets just for just a change of pace to see new things um and then she gets worked with about four, three to four times a week, depending on my work schedule. Um, and then I just get out with her. She's got the toys with the um, that the little hay pieces come out of. And I just try to keep it as what, like, that's what I can provide for her. But I just try to give her as much time grazing as possibly can. She has hay nets out in her pasture, um, not during the summer, spring and summer, but she does have them during the winter, um, just so she has something to munch on all the time. And we do plant winter grass as well. So she's constantly grazing and has plenty of space. So, you know, I don't have the hundred acres, but I give her as much, um, interesting things to eat and, and do and interact with as I possibly can. So don't think that it's the same thing if you are taking your horse that, you know, if you bought a horse from 50 acres or however many acres, and then you're going to put them in a dry lot, like that horse's behavior is definitely going to change. Or even if you put them in a small um, pasture, or if you only have options for stalling and then turning out occasionally, like, just be aware that the behavior is going to change. So um, try to do your best to get that horse eating and grazing and foraging and and moving and and interacting with other horses as much as possible that's going to be your um that's going to be the most helpful thing to you so the other thing about exercise is the type of exercise like what kind so again if you especially if you're going from something very different or not a lot to a lot that horse can become sore, especially if you're doing like jumping or if you've changed, like maybe this horse was like a ranch horse and now he's jumping or he's doing something repetitive. Like he's doing dressage, he's giving lessons, he's barrel racing, something where they do the same thing. Just be aware that behavior issues can come out of soreness as well, especially if they've changed it up a little bit. You want to do everything gradually. That's kind of the theme of this is let's do everything very gradually. Give your horse breaks, do a little cross training. Like that's good for them mentally as well. But just be aware of that too. I've seen multiple horses that get bought and then they go do a bunch of lessons (laughs) Um, and they're just going around and around and around and around. So let's just, you know, give them a break, get them some time to to get used to it. And I'm not saying throw them out for two weeks, but maybe let them do one, do a couple, um, just kind of gradually introduce them into that, just into any repetitive um, sport or work that your horse might be doing, because we can make them sore really easy. Um, And then like, again, if you're starting a horse, like very gradually, because they don't have any muscle mass to hold a rider. They don't have any of those correct muscles like on their back or over their on their neck and they have to build all those up especially especially when you're starting horse but also when you're just changing to just a different um sport so just take it your time (laughs) gradually build up that muscle um yeah and it'll be okay but 
do things just easily. So you don't, you don't want to create a problem by doing that. So, but yeah, I'm going to go into the problems now since I'm talking about that. Uh, the first one is going to be that soreness. So just rule that out ahead of time, like, which we'll kind of talk to in a, in a minute here about vet checks. Rule that out with your vet check. See the horse multiple times. Do kind of some thinking about uh, when you bring your new horse home, are you going to change him to a different sport? Um, are you starting him under saddle? Is he going to do something strenuous? And just be aware that he could be sore because of those things and just try to take your time and build progressively up to whatever sport you want to do. Um, the horse could just be generally unhappy. So again, going back to that vet check, make sure he's sound, make sure he doesn't have ulcers. You've got his grain and his hay and his feed all set away. He's got access to friends. He can move, he can graze. Um, that's probably going to do most of it, but just making sure all the boxes are checked and that horse is comfortable. Okay, expecting a horse to just do what you want, like it's a car or a four-wheeler. If you're buying a horse, realize that it's a horse. So many people are just like, I want to go on a trail ride and you just get on and go and then are very surprised when the horse doesn't want to go, doesn't want to steer, bucks them off. Like it's an animal. We need to be aware of that. Obviously we know that it is, but we expect horses a lot to just behave like a vehicle and just do what you want and be a robot. And that's just not the case. And you're going to get very disappointed and angry if that is the case. Um, the idea is to communicate and have a journey with this animal and it can be, it's part of your life versus just, I want to go on a trail ride. If you want to do that, go pay someone to go do a trail ride. Like don't buy a horse for that because you're just going to have more frustration than anything. So that's a big one. Um, horses can act different with different people, just like different parents or like your kids are going to act different for their teacher versus you or your, their grandparents versus you. It's just context. Um, like, I think I talked about this a little bit in the last episode. Like, like as soon as I get a horse, like, as soon as that lead rope's handed over to me, the horse acts different with me than they do their owner. You just have to be consistent with what you want your horse to do, how you want your horse to be behave, and how you're going to reinforce it. And that could be with whatever training method that you want to use. But you have to be consistent um, because, yes, they definitely will act different with one person versus another. So, I like, I could ride my horse just fine, like my um, off-the-track thoroughbred just fine. For most people, he is going to be too much of a horse just because he's very forward. He's very sensitive. If I sold that horse to a beginner or someone who's not very confident – it would be a very bad situation. So that would be my job as the seller to be like, yeah, that's not going to work. Even if you want to offer me money, it's just, I don't think that it's going to be a good match for you. So if you're selling horses, kind of be aware of those things. Because sometimes when buyers aren't going to be, they're not going to see that. They're going to be like, oh, this horse is really cute or he's really pretty or he's the, the right color, he's the right height. And they have dreams of you know, jumping or showing or whatever it might be and they just don't see it. They don't see that they're not ready for that horse. And then you can, those people can really get hurt. Um, horses can be ruined. So um, yeah, it's just it's a lot of time, it's unfortunate, but the buyers don't see it. So you kind of have to see it um, and just kind of refusing those buyers. So, but yeah, if I was selling that horse, um, it'd have to be a very specific person. 
because he is so sensitive and forward. And that's not a bad thing. Like, he was awesome for me to ride. I loved riding him. He was so much fun. But he could very easily scare somebody who wasn't confident to just, like, <laughs> like go forward immediately. So he has a lot of gas power. But, yeah. So su- suitability is really, really important. So... And they're, he's going to act differently as well. Um, like for me, I'm confident. I know the horse and I know what, what's going to happen. If I let someone else ride that horse that was worried or had any confidence issues or was a beginner in any way, they would have been grabbing onto his mouth, probably squeezing him with their legs, and it would have been terrible. And obviously that's going to change the horse. Like he's obviously going to act different with that person than he is with me because I'm confident I'm not going to be squeezing him. Um, You're going to get very different behaviors there. With that beginner or unconfident person, he's going to run forward. He's going to like run through your hands. Like it's it's going to be bad. So knowing what kind of horse you have when you're selling it and knowing what kind of horse you need when you're buying it, that's most of the battle right there. Um, and that's what else we got. So we're going to go into the buyer's duty. So probably biggest thing, vet check, vet check, vet check, vet check. Um, when I bought my mare, they were like, no one's ever vet checked. And they sell a bunch of horses every year. And I'm like, um, I'm going to vet check. I want to know what I'm getting myself into. And she was not been, not ever been ridden, but I really, at the time I wanted to sell her. And so I wanted to make sure she was completely sound, no issues, nothing, nothing going on so that I can put a bunch of time and money and energy into her and then sell her. That was my plan. Um, even if you were, I didn't sell her, but, um, even if you're not going to sell the horse, you're, you are going to put in a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of money into your horse. And you probably want to ride it for a really long time or keep it forever. So you want to make sure you know what you're getting into, um, especially on a more expensive horse. Uh, I would have, if you can afford it, get the most extent, extensive vet check that you can. Um, flexions, um, x-rays, um, if you want to pull blood on that horse. I would do that as well. Um, a lot of people, I'm going to go into this side note on drugging. I've heard a lot of people, their first go-to, as soon as anything goes wrong with their new horse, that horse was drugged, that horse was drugged. If you pull blood, you could probably see it. And then you can prove that to yourself or not. <laughs> I don't know how um, rampant that is. I know people drug their horses. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be happening a ton when you're selling them, because it's pretty obvious that the behavior is going to change. Um, but I feel like that's just kind of a cover for a lot of buyers. And that's just kind of their excuses. Oh, he, well, he must have been drugged the one time I saw him and didn't do a vet check. He must have been, even though I just went over two episodes long of all the different details and things that can go into a horse's behavior training. It's probably one of those other things. But if you pull blood, you could find out. So um, that's just one of those things that annoys me is that that's the go-to excuse when it could have be a number of other things. So, But it is the buyer's duty to get the vet check and to pull the blood and to see the horse multiple times in different scenarios. So many things. Come back at a different time. Did you come over one day and you rode the horse in the morning? Come back the next time on a different day in the afternoon. Um, what does he do at feeding time? Like different things. 
I get it that you can't go see a horse if you if the horse lives all the way across the country. See as many videos as you can and please get a vet check. If you can't go see the horse, get a vet check because now you can get a third party to come see the horse and give you their opinion. If you go and you buy a horse sight unseen and then you're mad about it, there's no one else to blame but you. That's just the reality of it. Get a vet check. <laughs> Um, if you can go see the horse multiple times at different times and different places. Um, and just to kind of see with horses or animals, like what, what do they act like in the morning? What do they act like in the evening? What do they act like at feeding time when there's other horses around, when there's not other horses around, when it's windy, when it's cold, when it's hot, like try to do those things. If you can lease the horse first, then by all means, please do that. But try to get as much information as you possibly can before you buy that horse. Um, when I bought my quarter horse, I she was uh, she was in Georgia, so it was a six hour drive, I believe. So we got up early and we drove down there, and I looked at five different horses because I was like, well, I'm definitely getting one of them. Um, but I had watched her video. I really liked her video. And then I watched her in person and I really liked her in person. And then I had her vetted and I bought her. But I also know all of these things and she was not broke to ride it at all. So that takes out a lot of this stuff is that, you know, she's not been handled very much. So um, her handling that she did have does affect her behavior, but it's going to be a lot less because she's not being ridden. But, but I knew what I was getting into. Um, I had watched the video. She was the same horse she was on the video when I saw her in person. I liked how she handled. I liked how she did for the vet. I liked how she responded to the vet. Um, and her vet check was good. So I bought her and I brought her home and I love that horse. <laughs> and other horses I've bought at auctions and they haven't been what I wanted them to be. But that's what you get when you go to an auction. Most auctions, I mean, especially like cheap horses. Um, lots of other horses I saw twice and then I bought them. Um, but yeah, uh, just kind of, if you can't go see the horse more than once, which is completely reasonable and get definitely hard when you have to go multiple hours, the horse is far away. Um, watch as many videos as you can, see if you can get the owner to send lots of videos, um, get that vet check and yeah, do your due diligence for sure. Um, if you have any like question, you're questioning it anyway, please get the, as much vet checking as you can get. <laughs> um, that's going to be, besides um, gradually changes, the theme of this podcast is please get a vet check. So, okay. And it's also a buyer beware market. Um, unfortunately, people do lie, but ask as many questions as you can. See the horse as much as you can. Get it checked out by a vet so you know as much as you can know about the horse. And you shouldn't have very many problems. Um, then, um, the next thing I'm going to talk about are the, kind of the seller's duties and the seller, uh, like I've sold multiple horses. It's tough when you want to sell a horse and it's your business. This is how you make your money to sell a horse and then take it back. So I think I talked about this a little bit in the first podcast and it, it there's a lot of factors here. If the horse just isn't working out for that person and you are financially able to, then I'd say that's the best interest of the horse. Um, but taking horses back is tricky because you can ruin one real quick. 
And so I like, let's say I trained this horse. I sold it to someone who I thought was going to be a good match and it wasn't. And then that horse is now not the same horse that I sold because it's been ruined. And then you have to bring it back and redo all the training that you just did and then sell it again. So you can see how a lot of sellers don't want to do that. So, and I would don't want to do that. <laughs> so that's really hard. That's really, it's really tough. Um, that's one of the main reasons that I don't sell horses anymore is that you put so much time and so much effort into this horse. And then even if the person comes and looks at it and they seem like they're a good match and turns out that they're not like now you have to go back and fix that horse all over again. So that's really hard. Um, and that's one of the gambles of selling horses, really. I mean, I don't blame a seller for not wanting to to take it back. I really don't. Because I know how much effort goes into that and and how fast you can ruin a horse or set it back really, really quickly um, versus making a good one in the beginning and just from the from the start. So I don't I don't uh, fault sellers for that at all. Um, same thing with refunds. Um, do your due diligence if you're a buyer. Um, you got to know what you're getting yourself into. Deposits are going to be a little bit trickier. Um, I would definitely not put a deposit on a horse that I haven't like fully seen in person or you haven't just bought like online um, or you haven't vetted. I would definitely not do that. I know there are a lot of scams just like on the internet now that you have to be really careful with. So I would definitely watch out for those. If you go to like see a horse um, and you're like, oh, I like it, and you put down a deposit, most of those deposits are just going to be non-refundable from the seller. Um, I've done that before, and then I ended up not buying horse, but the the seller kept the deposit, and that's just, that's fair um, because the horse was off the market. So that's, that's pretty normal. Um, what else do I have? Trials. Um, the other thing is trials. I would have, for me, I didn't have a trial where you could take the horse. If you want to lease the horse and you're paying me, that's a different story. Most people didn't want to do that. They wanted like a free trial at their house and I was not willing to do that because again, you could ruin the horse that I've been working on for months to perfect and make money and you could ruin it in 30 seconds. It could die on your trailer. Like there's so much risk it's, it just doesn't work. Um, if you did a lease, you're leasing the horse for me. I still own the horse and you have to have insurance on that horse. There's just too many variables. Um, if you want to trial the horse, you can do it at my house. You want to come back and ride it again? Want to ride it back in a week? You want to come over every day and ride it? That's perfectly fine with me. Um, I just don't want to, I don't want to send it down the road and I don't know if I'll ever see it again, or if it'll be the same horse when it comes back, or if it comes back. So it's just, it's too risky. It's just too risky for me, um, or for a seller. So that's what I did. That's up to you. If you're selling a horse, you can do different things. But yeah, if you want to come see my horse multiple times and see what they're like at different times during the day, during different weather, um, ride it, do groundwork, do whatever, that's perfectly fine. If you want to lease it and pay for insurance, that, that also works. So 
Um, that's kind of what I did. And then usually like I had a couple horses vetted and then I would kind of tell them who my vet was. So there's not really a conflict of interest. And then if they want to find a different one, I'll be like, Hey, I use this vet. So if I completely understand if you don't want to use them, cause they already know me. So here are some other ones that if you want to hire them, they've never seen this horse before. So that, um, I've done that a lot. And then once the horse was vetted, they were, they were pretty happy with it. So but that's kind of the general rule that I have. That's what works for me personally, just because there's so much risk in selling after you've put so much time in. Obviously, there's going to be risk if you're buying as well. Like for me, I've never really bought a horse that was finished and nice and expensive. I've never done that. So I've never had to really go through all the hoops and like do it. I've only vet checked that one mare because everything else was... I want to say under a thousand dollars. So, and I knew like, Hey, it's a gamble. Like I might lose all that money. That's definitely a possibility. Um, but that's, that's what I could afford at that point. Um, my mare was more than that and that's why she was vetted and I was going to sell her and now I'm going to keep her for a long time. So that's why I did that. So yeah, I could see if, if I was going now and I was going to buy a five, $10,000 horse. I'm going to vet it. I'm going to go see it. I'm going to try it. Like for me personally, I'm not going to buy that expensive a horse without being able to see it in first person. That's just me personally. Um, not the richest person ever. So that's a lot of money for me. So I would definitely go and see it at least once and definitely have it vetted. Um, I, and I would totally understand if they like, I wouldn't ask for a trial because I understand that they wouldn't necessarily want that. Um, but if I'm doing my diligence and I'm vetting the horse, I'm seeing the horse, I'm like seeing multiple videos, whatever record I can see that the horse has had, um, usually horses in those price ranges are going to be holding that value, especially now. And so even if it wasn't exactly like I saw I could definitely work on it or like if you're not a trainer, get a trainer to work on little things. I, I wouldn't be opposed to that at all. So um, the other thing I have or the last thing I have actually is going to be red flags. So biggest thing that I just talked about and ranted on for a while is no vet checks. Um, like I, I don't know if anybody would necessarily say I don't want my horse vetted. But I could see how they would be like, oh, well, someone else is coming. Or they'd rush you out into not getting one. That would be a red flag for me. Um, depending on, on how comfortable you are. Like, really, anything that's over 2500 I'm definitely vetting. Um, anything under that, probably not. Just because it's not that much. And you're, you're gambling anyways. Um, but yeah, definitely anything over that, I would definitely vet. If someone's like, oh, well, someone else is coming or they're trying to rush you to not vet, I would probably pass because there seems like a reason to not vet. Um, just ru any rushing in general, I would I would stay away from. Also, deposits without trying, which I talked about a little bit. And anybody who's saying this horse is completely dead, broken, bomb proof, that's just not a thing. <laughs> it's just not. So I would definitely make sure that the horse is quiet in different situations. But yeah, anybody who's like, oh, 
100% this horse will never spook. That's just not realistic. So I'm like, okay, like you either don't know a lot about horses then or you're like hyping the horse up. So maybe you're hiding something. That's just for me. That's a red flag for me because I know that no horse is bomb proof. So like, like I had one particular horse who is the quietest horse that I've ever had. He's an amazing horse. He still is um, that I had sold. He really was bomb-proof. I didn't advertise him as that because he is a horse. Um, I really don't even think he spooked the whole time I had him. He really didn't. He's just such a good boy. Um, but I'm not going to say that he's not going to at some point in time because he's a horse. So for me personally, I I want to kind of be like, eh, okay, is he really bomb-proof? Is he really did Because that's not a real thing. So that's just for me kind of a, a maybe a yellow flag, not a red one. Um, the other last thing I have, and the other thing about vet checks, for me, if I, I'm not the pickiest person in the world, and obviously I don't buy the fanciest horses in the world, and they weren't broke either, so they're probably not going to have a ton of issues. Be realistic on what you want to pass and what won't pass a vet check. So, like little things. Like I've bought horses off the track, and they were pin fired, and they were totally fine. I know a lot of people be like, "Oh my god!" and there's nothing wrong with the horse. The horse is sound. Um, the same horse that was pin fired actually had, oh, uh, she had, he had like, um, I think it's, uh, I'm probably going to say it wrong, like an oslet or oslet, something like that, like puffy, puffiness on the um, fetlock. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what, how you, what you say, how you say it. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what it's called, but he had that and it like, I, he wasn't vetted either. He was part of a trade, but um, amazing horse, great mind, completely sound. But yeah, he had like little puffs on his legs. He was older. He had raced. He had done lessons. Like I was like, it wasn't a big deal for me. Um, if I was going to buy a horse like that's pretty young and he's got that, that would might be a different story. Like the Maribot had a scar on her leg that I didn't see in the photos. And so I was really happy that I vetted her and she was fine. Like she just has like a, it's just like a, um, one of those ones where it doesn't affect anything. It's just cosmetic. There we go. That's what I was looking for. It's just cosmetic. And it's got a little bit, just a little piece on her pastern where the hair doesn't grow. That's all. But I had it looked at just in case. But yeah, if you have a young horse, that's got, um, like a lot of puffiness, stuff like that. Uh, bone chips like if you're getting something off the track you can get them out um just kind of be honest with your vet on what you want that horse for and they will tell you how realistic that's going to be with or without care so like if your horse has a bone chip depending on how bad it is where it is that horse might be able to go on and do some jumping or do whatever you want it might not it might only be able to do dressage things is that okay for you um, or is that okay for you right now? Maybe you want to sell it later on. Just little things like that. I'm not super picky though. Um, if I had a bunch of money and I was going to spend a huge amount on a horse, I probably would be more picky. Um, but yeah, for the horses I'd buy, not that picky. So, <laughs> But if I was going to spend like 50000 then yeah, I would. But little tiny things like that $50,000 horse, if it has like a cosmetic scar or something, I'm probably going to overlook like I'll overlook that. I don't really care about that too much. So just kind of decide, like, be realistic. What are you really going to use this horse for? Are you really going to jump four feet? Are you really going to do that? Or are you going to 
jump occasionally, like a one foot jump. Like, are you, what are you really going to do? And be sure that your horse can stand up to that level and talk to your vet about that. Just be on the same page. Be realistic. Be like, hey, I really want to just jump like two feet, maybe twice a week. Is this going to be okay with this horse? And your vet should know that. Or the vet you have the vet check do. Or yeah, whatever vet you have do the check should should tell you if that's going to be okay or not. Just be realistic. And if you are one of those people who maybe you're going to barrel race every single weekend, be honest with your vet and be like, yeah, is this going to really work? And if it's not going to work, and that's okay. Like, go vet another horse. But yeah, I would say that's probably the biggest thing. So hopefully my rant is over and hopefully that helped you out some, some and gave you some things to think about and helped you buy a horse or sell a horse something like that. But hopefully I, luckily I didn't have to do three episodes. So hopefully that wasn't too long. That's what I've got for today.